computer has decided to freeze, so we'll take just a second. It's uh, all about technology so that every speaker that comes in will comment on it because something will happen. It is inevitable. So I'm just going to play off of that as well, that technology is good as long as it works, but majority of the time it doesn't work, which is why I depend on it completely when I do a lesson. I don't understand why, but uh, if we can just make it through this one, we'll be all right. Closer than we were. No one stares at the computer, it works better. So uh, while that's thinking about if one wants to uh, have class with us or not, I am happy that we're here this morning, uh, that we get to continue our time for Bible study. I know uh, last week it was a good start for everyone I know with the children's classes, everybody getting back into a new routine of what Sunday mornings look like. And um, so it's just been good to, to be back and especially having different classes going on. I know with the fellowship hall, uh, with those guys rotating in, that'll be a good experience as well. So it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Um, you go back and forth, but I would encourage you as we continue to study this that uh, you are all in as we are looking at the book of Deuteronomy, as we're looking at the morning. Let's spend a little bit of time in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you so much for another day, uh, not just any day, but a first day of the week that is a reminder of your son that was raised from the dead, that when the sun came up, he was no longer in that grave, and we celebrate that and we remember it. So I pray that you'll be with us as we start this new week, especially as we begin with studying your word and worshiping you, that guide. We thank you for uh, giving it to us. Uh, pray that you will continue to give us understanding and wisdom from it as we walk out of these doors later today and go into the world that will be prepared to be your examples and your shining light. We love you so much. We pray this to you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, so my homework for you last time was to read... Deuteronomy, um, that was the bigger goal. So if you got through the book of Deuteronomy, good job to you. Uh, but a smaller goal was to look at chapter four, uh, chapters 4, 6, and 30. So maybe you did that. David told me he read the book of Genesis, so he's ready to go um, aside from the book of Deuteronomy. So he'll be teaching next. Uh, but hopefully you did uh, look into it a little bit. And maybe you started taking some notes, started no noting. Looking at this morning is uh, the conditions of the law. We looked a little bit at this nature of the law. What does that mean exactly? Specifically, as we're looking at in the book of Deuteronomy, and the way I've been describing this class is that it is a topical textual class, going through the book of Deuteronomy while looking at the law. So I couldn't decide which one I'd rather do, so we're going to do both. Uh, but as I'm thinking about the law, when you go through the New Testament, you see that phrase a lot, the law, the law, the law of Moses, um, the law of God. And it takes on a couple of different forms depending on where you're reading. I think specifically about the books of Romans and Hebrews. Those are the main ones in, in my idea that starts talking about the law in a more intricate way that Paul goes from this, this view of what the law is and how we got to where we are in needing Jesus. So he gets more into the the, the view of sin in the first three chapters of Romans and how that is resolved, how the, the old law is done away, but that was a precursor. It was a beginning point so that we can understand God and his commandments a little bit better, and then it goes on from there. The book of Hebrews is guiding uh, the Jews through how do we go from the old law into the law of Jesus, and how did those things mesh up together. And it's a very beautiful way the Hebrew writer constructs his argument about the law and how the Jews knew all of these things and it was supposed to be these guideposts to get them a little bit further down the road, and they missed some of it. But he said Jesus was tied up in it the whole time. 
And if you were to look at the book of Romans or the book of Hebrews, you're going to see some of the things that we're going to be looking at today about these conditions of the law. If God says, all right, I've got a law for you, he expects us to do something with it. If there is a law in place, it's there for a reason. We see that even in our laws today, whether we agree with them or not, there are certain laws in place and certain individuals or groups have decided these things need to be in place in order for X, Y, or Z to happen. And depending on who the governing authority is or whatever that authority is, it doesn't matter if it's in a classroom, if we're talking about authority, if we're talking about a nation, if we're talking about uh, a people group, that we see laws all over the place. And so what is the difference between God's laws and the laws of these lands? Well, there is a basic nature of understanding how law operates. And God, in his nature of who he is, has brought out this law that is an extension of who he is. And he is asking his people to do something in order to guide them in a particular way. He's hemming them in. He's telling them, look, you guys have some behavior that's just not acceptable. It's not okay. And this is what I need you to do. So you may not understand the law, but maybe it'll make sense a little bit further on. And that's why I think about the book of Hebrews. They missed some aspects of the law that were pointing to Jesus. And some of the Pharisees later on, they just went right past that and missed Jesus. And you get um, you know, the apostles coming in, the disciples looking back and saying, look, the law was meant to take you right here. So all these things about the law, we see conditions about it. If there's a law in place around us, there are conditions of if you do it, this will happen to you. If you don't do it, this is going to be the result of it. We see that in our home uh, with our children, with our parents. We see that, like I said, in the classroom. We see that in our nation, that there are consequences, but there are also some benefits of following in line with the law. And even Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 13 when he's talking about the governing authorities. He said, look, if you will put God first, you'll submit yourself to the governing authorities, then you don't have to worry about the sword. You can do what is expected of you. And that's a whole other conversation there. But it's the same thing, that there are conditions to a law. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is uh, transitioning from last week about the nature of the law and how does that uh, correlate to God's expectations for what we should be doing. So just a, a little bit of review from that. Um, this was our recap of just the story of Deuteronomy. If you weren't here, this is a basic outline. And what we're going to be looking at predominantly is that uh, number four, blessings and curses. So Moses has given us a little bit of history in the first four chapters. He's told us, all right, how did we get to the brink of the Jordan from the, from the whole history of the Jews in a song? Uh, it's really cool to see that. And so that's what Moses does in the very beginning. And then he tells us, here's your relationship with God. Here are the terms here are the things that you need to be aware of that's part of that relationship, so here's the law. And he gets to the end of it, and he sets back, and he says, okay, you know all the things about the law. We've been working on this for 40 years in the wilderness. It was that training period of it's just us and God. I like the book of Hosea. He kind of describes it as a um, uh, that time in the wilderness. It was almost like a honeymoon period between God and his people. Because, you know, that book is all about a marriage relationship, and how does that look when someone is unfaithful? But if they remain faithful, how do you see that? And, and part of the descriptions in the first couple of chapters of Hosea, he calls that time in the wilderness this honeymoon period where he said it was just us. It was just me, God speaking, it was just me and you in the wilderness. And it was this trial period too for them as they're following through the law. He said, look, you don't have to worry about this or this or this, it's just us in the wilderness. And if he could train them to depend on him completely, think about the benefits of that. And part of the consequence of that older generation having to die out in the wilderness was so that there was a new generation that only knew 
God in the wilderness. Think about that. When we first come to Christianity, when we are converted, sadly we bring the baggage of the world of where we grew up and what we went through in relation to sin. And we bring that over. But in Christ, in God, all of those things are washed away and we become a new creation, a new creature. We start over. It's just us and God. It doesn't matter about the past. Those things are done. And there might have been some physical consequences from that. But for the most part, now in a relationship with God, completely dedicated to Him, it's just me and Him in the wilderness. There's a lot of correlations from the book of Deuteronomy, from the law that carry over to where we are today. And these blessings and cursings, when they come out of this, Moses is standing there and he's telling him, he said, look, you know all the terms and the conditions. You can sign off on it if you're ready, but here's what's going to happen if you don't do it. And then the, the final part of the book is when Moses leaves and he doesn't get to go into, um, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. So what we ended on, the nature of the law last week, was looking at this idea, every rule or statute can be found in one commandment. And it's part of this language use in the book of Deuteronomy. They says, you know, follow all these statutes, all these rules, all these commandments. And, and we look at, you know, even tag a number on there, 613 commandments, all these things that they were supposed to follow. But there are certain parts of the book that narrow it down to just this thought. And if we can get that in line, everything else will fall in place. If you will love God first. In Deuteronomy 6, this is what he says. Now, this is the commandment. Singular, and it's made up of statutes and the rules. And if I'll transition it, you'll see it. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2, because this is the commandment, singular. And underneath that are rules and statutes. And chapter 6 is all about that dedication to God of love the Lord your God first. That's the commandment. You put God first. Now, some people have taken that in the wrong way. And what we're going to see over the next two weeks, we're going to look at some issues in the law, and then we're going to look at some exceptions of the law. And what's going to happen in those two uh, class sessions for us, we're going to see some mishandlings of the people in their relationship to the law. And we see this even today. And there were two things that came to my mind, two, uh, two verses that maybe you've even heard a discussion of, of how this has gotten out of the line and I think it's a result of not understanding the blessings and the cursings in the right context. Here's what I mean. If you uh, will hold your finger there and go over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. We're going to look at, uh, starting in verse 34, and then we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 23. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard uh, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So Jesus has just had... This uh, conversation with some of the Sadducees, he dropped a bomb in there talking about resurrection. They didn't know how to handle it. And so uh, the Pharisees are coming in like, we saw what you just did, but now we have some questions for you. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The Pharisees know all the commandments. They can name them. They can quote them. They're phylacteries. They're boxes that they carry on them. They put all the uh, quotations that they had memorized in there. They knew the law. They knew the number of it. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say to them? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now for us, as we are studying the book of Deuteronomy, we read that and it's this happy-go-lucky emotional connection with God and that makes up for everything. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. In the Great Commission, at the end of the book of Matthew, 
What are we charged with? Go and make disciples of all nations and teach them what? All that I have commanded you. It's not we look at one law and it's it's love God first and then nothing else matters besides just love. If you love God, you're going to do what he asks you to do. And the greatest commandment is love, and that prioritizes everything else underneath it. If I love God and he says, I don't want you fabric that has two different types of material to it. Okay, God, I love you, and you've asked me to do this. I'm going to do it. Now, the but I mentality we talked about last time makes me want to look at it and say, "Uh uh-uh, I have some problems with that. But there was a reason why it was in place, and we're going to see some of these a little bit later on. But people look at this passage in Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of the two commandments, depend, see, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You can hang them all on there. And this is not the first and the only time that Jesus speaks in this way. You can go to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says the same thing. Everything hangs on this idea. We really do love God. Everything He has to offer. And I want to do everything He asks me to do. And that takes full submission, but this is this understanding of love. Now, some people get challenged when you go over one more chapter to Matthew 23. Jesus is going to have a a longer um, uh, list of things for the Pharisees. You have these woes to them. Uh, One of them that I want to look at is in Matthew 23, verse 23. Says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and uh, dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Some people look at this passage and they say, All right, do you understand what Jesus is telling them here? Is that, uh, you know, it's not all these little things that you should worry about. That there's this prioritization uh, that is in the wrong way of this is the only thing you have to focus on, and there's this top tier, but then there's these second ideas that. You know, they're kind of just up in the air. They can be whatever you want them to be. That's not the case at all. If you put God first and you look at everything else, they all link together. It's not where we get to separate them into little pockets. It's the entirety of it. And what does he tell them a little bit further on right afterwards? He says, um, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's the full picture of the law. This commandment has a lot of smaller commandments. You should be good on the outside and doing all the correct things, but on the inside you need to be right as well. Can you, you have heard that it was said to those of old, but now I say to you. You have heard, look, don't murder them. I'm telling you, don't hate. You've heard, don't have adultery, but now I'm telling you, uh, don't lust. There's the salt and light aspect. Salt um, has a quality about it. it It may look right, but maybe the quality is off. This is the inward aspect of it. And the light is something that people can see. The full picture of Christianity is external and internal, balanced together in a full relationship of love to God. Does that make sense? Do you see this being played out in what we're dealing with here? So I wanted to bring in those two chapters just in case you uh, have heard somebody look at those and, and maybe handle them in the wrong way. Sweep this back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the commandment. But let's go a little bit further in understanding this, going from nature and and to the conditions. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 30, and this is just going to explain it a little bit fuller. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you... Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. 
It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. If you focus on just the, the commandments without putting the love first, it seems daunting. But I think about the book of 1 John. He says his uh, commandments are not burdensome. And what Moses is telling us and what God is telling us, that you'll do the commandment and everything will fit together if you will put them in their place. Now, I think it's interesting with this uh, teaching that he's giving us here, Paul uses, uh, uses it in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 10. I understand we got a lot of passages, and I hope you enjoy reading them because we're going to look at them together. Go to Romans 10. Now, I've got on here a bit say that, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I have to. Uh, so look at verse 5. So this is Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Think about Deuteronomy 30, some of the language used there. Paul's about to use it himself. You ready for it? For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Do you see that same language from Deuteronomy chapter 30? It's not over there, it's not over there, it's, it's where? Where are the laws? Where are the commandments? But Paul's going to use a different word that we didn't see in Deuteronomy, but it's been there the whole time. Faith. If you read Hebrews chapter 11 and you learn about faith, if God asks me to do something, I'm going to do it. Abraham says, God, you, you asked me to sacrifice my son, I'm going to do it. Abraham says, you're going to call me out of my land to, abandon, you know, to leave all of my family, and I'm going to go to a place that I don't know. You've asked me to do it, I'm going to do it. It's close. And he's asking us to do something that we can relate to. But uh, it's all part of... It won't go out on me. Um, so verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now people get caught up here, right, in conversations about salvation. And they said this is all that it takes is that as long as you believe in God, everything is fixed. Now, where have we been so far in understanding how the law operates? It's not just one aspect of it. You're looking at the entirety of it. The sum of thy word is truth. People will stop here and they'll say, look, this is all I have to do is confess and that's enough. It's not. When you think about belief, there's a lot of people that believe in God. In Jesus' ministry, there were a lot of people that believed in Him, but because of things that were in their life, they would not submit to Him. The difference between belief and faith. I think there's a lot of evidence in the world that points to a belief in God, but then faith tells us I'm going to serve that God. And if He asks me to do it, I'm going to do it. And when you make this full submission to Him and acknowledge that He is in control, then whatever He asks, He's going to do. And, and there's a lot here to break down in the book of Romans. And, and I don't want to do it, um, I don't want to leave it in part, but I hope that you would study and understand how this fits into Paul's full conversation in the book of Romans. He's talking to Christians that have already made this decision, but he's going back to that foundation, uh, this confession of understanding when you know who God is, you're going to do something about it. Think about Rahab. When the Israelites came through in Jericho, 
and she was hiding the spies. She said, we heard about what your God did in the land and we've seen it and our hearts melted within us. We want to follow your God. And you find faith and works about Rahab in James chapter 2. That it was a beginning point, that belief, but then it caused her to go further to do more of whatever God asked. This love aspect, we can love God, and if we love Him, we'll keep His commandments, and whatever He asks us that it's not a burden to us, we will gladly do it, and we'll accept it. When I think about the conditions of the law, that's what starts coming to my mind, is that I understand if he says, if you love me, you'll be over here and I'll take care of you. But if you don't love me, you're going to be over here and I can't be with you. You're going to have to be given up to all of your sins. You're going to have to bear those by yourself. So he says, see, uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all the statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding, uh, is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today. Is that a beautiful description to you or not? He said, if you will become people that are dedicated to not just the letter of the law, but the entire picture of where it comes from, from God and His nature, and you do that, people will look at you and they'll say, what a wise and understanding nation. I want people to look at the church and think that. I don't want them to look at the church and say, unlearned, unwise, have no understanding of how things operate. If we follow God's word, we can walk into this world prepared and people will see it. And there is a clear difference between us and the world. I've enjoyed looking at that and how they should understand their relationship uh, to God and the law itself. And so um, even phrases of whenever we call upon him, not just the, you know, God, you're in control and that's it. You call on Him and then you do something about it. When they're in distress, they call upon God and what happens? He says, okay, you're in distress. Here's some things that are going on. Here's what we're going to do. You got a nation that's about to wipe you out because uh, you decided to go handle things yourself. Okay, stop. Here's what I want you to do. He gives them rules. And if they said, okay, thanks God, that's good enough. No. If there's snakes in your camp that uh, God has already had to send a punishment to you because you weren't listening, I think about uh, Numbers chapter 22, 23, somewhere around in there, you know, the fiery serpents that come into their camp. And they, they said, look, we need some relief from this. And God says, okay, I want Moses, I want you to make a bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a stick and I want you to go put it over there. And anybody that comes to look at it will be healed. How many sermons have you heard or illustrations of, you know, people being in their home like, I know that serpent's there. I know it's up on a stick. I just don't feel like going to look at it. No, if you need relief, and God says, there's where your, your relief is, where are you going to go? You're going to bolt out the door to it as fast as you can. You call upon the name of the Lord. There's action involves. Maybe you want to make note of Acts chapter 22, verse 16, when Paul receives uh, a teaching from Ananias. He says, you know, why do you wait? Arise me baptized. What? 
calling upon the name of the Lord. There's action involved. There's a lot more than just a single idea. So I'm seeing over and over again this idea of love and obedience working together in proper balance. And you might see it as well in just a second. So uh, love and obedience, that's what the other slide said. Uh, I thought this was cool. Uh, This is a word cloud. And it takes uh, all the words that are mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy and it gives them uh, priority based on size of how often they are mentioned. And uh, there's a couple of websites you can use to do this. And uh, Deuteronomy is not mentioned. That's just showing you the book title there. But you think about the Lord our God, that phrase used over and over again. But uh, if you could see this as well as I do when I sit down at my computer at my desk, you'll see a lot of different words up here. And as I was reading the book of Deuteronomy, there are a few of them that stood out to me that are in this this mess that you don't see, but just believe me, they're in there. Um, But it's this love and soul. Those two words are used a lot of different times as major headings, love and soul or heart and soul. These are key terms in understanding Deuteronomy, this idea of heart and soul. We saw in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, Only take care and keep your souls diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. The commandments can be placed within us because of our relationship to them. Technology today. I complained, and now it's it's getting its uh, just rewards. So here are a couple of the the main times that it's. Uh, oh, actually, let me rephrase myself. I'm going to show you two charts on these next two slides, and I'm not going to read all of them. But if you were taking notes or take a picture, or going back, and this is now archived, um, that these are times where heart and soul are mentioned in the same context, um, and you can look up each one of these and see how they relate uh, throughout. But if you kind of glance through here, God is concerned about the entirety of man, the soul. You know, we can't put our finger on the soul exactly of what it is, but we know that it's part of who we are, that when God created us out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into us, the soul is that uh, that life that he has given to us, uh, that makes us different. We are created in the image of God, and I think it's part and where you find it there. But in heart... Is more than just emotion. You know, you think about um, times where your, your heart starts beating fast, you're anticipating something, or uh, you are just so filled with something, you know, you can literally feel your heart beating. Um, it's this, it, it speaks to us, and our body knows that how, it, how it works together, but you think about when you get so caught up in things of the world, or just, you know, whatever it may be, our heart tells us a lot just physically. But when you read it throughout the scriptures about heart, it's a, it's a little bit more about the entirety of man. Um, some of the commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all these different terms used. It's not just the thing pumping our blood. As I said, it, it gives, you know, it does speak to us that, you know, based on uh, what we're going through, you know, we can see changes and things like that. But it's this entirety, our mind, our soul, our heart, all these things working together, a unity of man of what God created. That's the dedication that he's wanting. He's wanting all these things to be one together. And that's what these verses are speaking to. And here's the, uh, the other set of them as well. 
it's all throughout the book. Each one of the, the um, major headings in the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to find some kind of teaching about heart and soul. Here's what I get from it. So we saw in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, that verse, he said, Don't forget what the Lord your God has done. Don't forget what you have seen, lest they depart from your heart. Let's ask this question. What have the Israelites seen God do? Now, this is not going to be rhetorical, and I had full intentions of uh, getting more feedback, and then I get so excited and I start talking about it, but we'll stop here for a second. Think back in the history of the Israelites, these people that Moses is speaking to. What are some things that they have tangibly uh, seen God do? What comes to your mind, whether in the wilderness or beyond that? What are some physical things? What are some things they've seen God do? Free food, yeah. Uh, that was the first one that came to y'all's mind was food. So free food, you get manna. Don't know what it is, but he gave it to us. We can't even describe it or how it comes up. Then he's, he gave us quail. Uh, they complained about meat so much, they said, look, we've got this loathsome bread. We need meat. So God says, okay, I'm going to give you so much quail, it's going to come out of your nose. And they, they despised it at one point. He's like, look, I took care of you. What else? Yeah, they were in the wilderness for the full... 40 years, and what did their clothing look like by the end of it? It didn't wear out. The sole of their shoe didn't wear out. I mean, I, I've got clothing, and it's probably just because of the cheaper ones I buy from Old Navy, but they don't last that long. They're going to last 40 years, although some of you guys, I know that you still have clothing from like when you were in college, and your wives hate it. Look, we know this. Um, but you think about like when they were in the wilderness, look, my clothing has not broken down, and it's been 40 years yeah, that doesn't happen unless God's involved. What else? Water when they needed it in a lot of ways. Two rock experiences. One, speak to the rock. The other one, strike the rock. Um, and then Moses not understanding the difference between those. But water from a rock. Um, yeah, great example. What else? Cloud of protection. Um, that cloud appears a lot. It, it uh, appeared over Mount Sinai when they were like, look, we can't hear the voice of God unless he strike us down. So, you know, there's this cloud over it. But they were also guided by a cloud that told them which way to go. Uh, it watched over them. I think I heard one over this way, maybe. Parting of the Red Sea. Man, we've just been talking about the wilderness, but think about outside of the wilderness before they even start this Mount Sinai experience and beyond, seeing the Red Sea part open and walk over on dry ground. What about in Egypt? All the, the signs and the wonders and everything that happened just with Moses when he was trying to understand what God was going to do for him. You know, his hand going into uh, his shirt and coming out leprous and, uh, you know, his staff and Aaron having a, a budding staff. All of these different things. It's described as the arm of the Lord, his hand reaching out to do things. And there are stories and there are psalms and there are things written all throughout the scriptures that tell us about God's great arm and what he did. We didn't see it, but I have a lot of evidence and I know what he did. And for us as Christians, I mean, we get even more things when it comes to Jesus and the great things that happened through him. But as he's speaking here in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, do not forget what the Lord your God has done. You've seen all these things that you can't even describe. You don't even have a word for, but he has provided for you. In Deuteronomy 4, this is what he tells us, starting in 32 through 35, we'll break the, the verse down. Ask now of the days that are past. Speaking to the people that are coming, he's like, look, 
if somebody were to come up, let's say it was one of your children, and they said, tell me about God. Tell me about our history, where we came from. What would you tell them? So if somebody comes in and tells us uh, the, the days past, these years where we came from, what are you going to see? God would do something. He made things happen. And uh, there are seven mentioned in this passage here. Let me go back and have that verse open so it doesn't go away when technology breaks. Uh, 4, 32 through 35. So, uh, for ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. He said, you can even go uh, back and look at what God did in the beginning. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Part of this, no other God is like our God. Because those gods are false. They're made of stone. There's nothing to them. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? All these tales and mythology of these different gods and what they would do, you don't come into their presence without something happening. Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So what other God has done this? None of them. None of them are able to bring out a nation in the midst of another nation by all of these things. All of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To, all, uh, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. So let's take this in for a moment. And, and we read a, a passage earlier on that mentioned this. Why were the signs and wonders done in Egypt? Part of it was to show the Israelites, and he's, and he's referring back to that, he said, you can see the arm of the Lord, but what was the other part? In Egypt, Pharaoh had hardened his heart. Pharaoh was not going to let the people go. He saw all these deeds and did he obey? They became a curse. Because Pharaoh would not listen to God, look at the signs that came through Moses, he would not bend himself, his heart that was too hard, he wasn't able to see all of these things and look to the God of heaven and want to obey it, they became a curse to him. But to the Israelites, they look back on this, although it was sad that these things had to happen, but they see it as something positive because they were led from Egypt into something greater. Did that click? This blessings and this cursing, this, uh, this balance of doing what God asks and having consequences that come from it. These conditions for the law, we keep referring to them as blessings and curses um, all throughout this. And there are two chapters that I want to look at in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And um, it would be my preference just to read both chapters together, but we won't. I'm going to look at some of the, the major ones from it. Um, but you can go ahead and put a, a tab there. We're going to talk about just a little bit more. So in Deuteronomy 26, leading up to uh, 27 and 28, that's going to be these points of uh, blessings and cursings. Here's what the people learn. 
Okay, starting in verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. We've seen them again, okay? You shall therefore be careful to do them with all of your, what? Heart and soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways and keep His statutes and His commandments and His rules and will obey His voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession as He has promised you and that you are to keep all His commandments, and that He will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that He has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as He promised. What are Just out of curiosity, what are some key phrases that stick out to you in this passage? Or ideas, maybe? Do what? Heart and soul. So there's one of our mentions there. Okay. What else? Okay. Be careful to follow them. And that's just uh, to highlight that. All your heart and with all your soul. What else sticks out to you? Do you see the book of Proverbs mention this? About God guiding our steps and not ourselves. Not our heart, but the heart that, that is geared toward God. That determines our steps and He will protect us. This wise and understanding nation that other people are going to see. When Solomon writes about it in the book of Proverbs, he's looking back on things like this and it just makes sense. I think something that uh, is, is good to see here, it's the terms of the agreement. There are two different parties mentioned here. Moses is speaking, he's looking at the people and he said, you have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways. So we've seen everything up to this point. We've seen all the laws and everything. You say, you know what? I'm all in. I'm into the. I, I'm following God. I've made the statement. I'm going to do what He asked me to do. I'm going to walk in all my ways, do all these things. And but look at the other part of it. The Lord has declared today that you are a people treasured. That you are a people for His treasured possession. Two different parties coming into an agreement together. The people say, you know what? Yes, God, we're going to follow after you. And he says, okay, if that's what you're going to do, and you're going to love me, and you're going to walk carefully, and all the, the ways of your life are going to be dedicated to me, here's what I'm going to do for you. It's not just a one-way relationship. It's a coming together, and God declares what he's going to do, that he has promised you, and that you will keep his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. New Testament version, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, right? We as a church are a holy nation, a people for his possession. All those same things are used to describe the church. And we are terms and conditions, we are in agreement with him, both sides saying this is how we're going to do it. A covenant is between two separate parties. There's a couple of covenants, well, there's quite a few covenants, rather, in the Old Testament. Two of them that I want to think about, and uh, I put up the, the full chapters if you want to go read them. A covenant between Abraham and God. In Genesis 15, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, it's through a vision where uh, he tells Abraham, all right, I want you to go and I want you to take these animals, I want you to cut them in half, lay them open, and you and I are going to walk through this together. One half and the other half coming together in an agreement. 
And it's the same thing. God says, Abraham, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to send you into a land. I'm going to give you a land if you will just follow what I tell you. I mean, that's part of being in agreement, right? If any kind of uh, social contract that we get into, uh, but even beyond that, a legal contract, one person says, this is what I'm going to do, and the other person says, this is what I'm going to do. It may be over goods. It may be over a service. That's just how it works. You say, this is what I'm going to do, and you say, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to hold ourselves liable to it, and we're going to do something about it. Well, Abraham and God came into this covenant, and we're seeing part of it being played out here with this land and these, uh, this great nation. Another one is between David and God. Uh, it's part of it you can see in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's you know, really the whole story of David. Um, but you see the same thing. He says, David, I'm going to take care of you if you will do what I tell you to do. But then what does David do? Breaks the terms. And what are the consequences when Nathan comes to David and tells him, you've messed up? His house falls apart. His future uh, for him personally is just torn apart in a different uh, way. God's still going to make sure his major promise is going to happen all the way through. His will is going to be done, but there were consequences when David decided he was going to fail. There are a lot of different ones that look like this. These covenants that are mentioned all throughout Scripture. It's two parties coming together saying, this is what I'm going to do. So what is this relationship between God, love, and commands? Well, if two people say this is what they're going to do, and then somebody doesn't hold up their end of the deal, there are consequences. And this is what is happening in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Like I said, we won't read the, the full chapter, but there's just a couple of them that I, I want to see. Uh, let's see, Deuteronomy 27, verse 9. Then, then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all of Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day. You have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping His commandments and the statutes which I command you today. That day you have crossed over the Jordan. These shall stand on Mount Gerizim. And He gives the, the people. And then verse 15. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. He works through some of the um, Ten Commandments and some of the other major ones that are part of this uh, command. He says, cursed be anyone who doesn't do that. He's saying, you know, we may even use that term, you know, these are curses, but what does that mean exactly? He says, curse the person that doesn't do this. Now you look at chapter 28. He's going to give us some blessings. Um, and we're just going to drop down into the middle of it just to look at a few of them. Um, I don't know, I picked verse 10. So uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 10. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give you. I mean, there's a lot of blessings. Like I said, I just picked uh, 10 arbitrarily for this. He said, if you will follow me, here's what's going to happen to you. Your land is going to produce good fruit. You're going to be a great nation, so your body will produce good fruit. This be fruitful and multiply uh, he talks about their bowls will not be emptied. Uh, they will have what they need. And even part of it, when they walked into the land of Canaan, they started wiping out these nations that were going against God, and they became a curse to them. They were pushing them out. They walked into vineyards that were full. They walked into houses that were already prepared, where they didn't have to till the land and plant and wait for the produce to come. It was already available to them when they came in and listened to God. The blessings? There are blessings. 
But then on the flip side, he says, all right, so if you don't listen to me, and you know these cursings are in place, this is what it looks like. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be in the basket, in your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Did you see the reverse? Just uh, It happened this way. of Verse 10, and then what we just saw in this one. You will have good things, or those good things will be taken away. The remainder of the chapter talks about all this. In verse 30 or 28, to see these blessings and cursings, and there's some major ones in here that talk about exile, and uh, that will become a point a little bit later on as well. But when I think about the conditions of the law, what does a life look like that is not filled with the love of God? What does a, a life of darkness look like? It's illustrated in a very profound way for us in the book of Deuteronomy and the life of the Israelites so that we as Christians, as a holy nation, can know what outside of Christianity looks like, but where we can be blessed to know what it looks like to have abundance of life and hope in Jesus Christ and the love of our Father. So thank you for being here.